This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again, Doug Collum. Welcome back. This is SiriusXM's Bay Area Ventures, live from Wharton, San Francisco. I'm your host, Doug Collum, and I'm here uh, for our second hour, so, so the first hour we spent talking with a, a VC, and now we're going to jump to the other side of the equation. We're going to be talking to a, a co-founder and CEO of a company called Tally. For those people who are just just joining us, um, Channel 132 Bay, Bay Area Ventures is about startups and venture capital, mostly focused here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we're staying true to our theme today with uh, both guests um, in terms of on the investment side and on the uh, entrepreneurial side. Um, if you've got a question, you can reach us at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So I'm joined now here in our studio by Jason Brown, who's the CEO and co-founder of Tally, which is a leading automated debt manager. Uh, we'll get into that in much more detail. But what's interesting, I mean, I think this is the first occasion, at least on my watch, where we've had a guest come in who has been in here before. So it's been about a two-year stretch. Um, Jason came on board uh, in, in July of 2016, and here we are, you know, a little bit longer than two years later. And in that time frame, um, he's raised a lot more capital. So certain, some, some good things must be happening. Jason, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Doug. It's uh, it's an honor. Didn't didn't know that uh, that I was one of the fewer only to come back. Well, there. we're gonna see, so don't screw this up. All right, I'll try not to. So, so what what is Tally? Give us a short, like a thumbnail sketch of what the company does. Well, uh, Tally's an app, and it's the uh, the first automated debt manager. So what that means is it figures out the smartest and the fastest way to uh, allow you to be debt free. And then actually does all the uh, the hard work for you. So the way it works, you just download the app in the App Store for free. Uh, you scan in your credit cards. Uh, you pass a quick, soft credit check. And from there, actually, Tally takes over responsibility for paying your cards for you. And it does uh, three main things. So first, it guarantees you won't get any more late fees. So there are $12 billion of credit card late fees in the country. Wow. And, yep. uh, Makes it so you don't have to worry about that. Secondly, it uh, saves the average person about $5,300 in interest. So it makes sure you're not getting uh, charged high interest rates by the credit cards. And then finally, uh, it, the algorithms are really smart. And the way they pay your cards actually uh, gets you out of debt 10 to 15 years faster than you would otherwise. So it's really uh, it's just a, a great tool for anybody that, uh, that has credit card debt. We definitely will jump back into that. I already have a bunch of questions. But... Um... So, Jason, your background, first of all, what's, what is it that led you up to Tally? I mean, start with maybe education, and then what, what did you do before Tally came on board? Well, you know, I actually met my co-founder, Jasper, in business school. So uh, for those folks who are listening that, uh, that are either have been to business school or in business school, I can say that, that was a, that's a great place to meet a co-founder. So I, I want to pause here because I just this is the last question I asked of the VC who has a business degree, an MBA, and asked him, you know, what was the value of an MBA to you? So I'm not going to tell you what he said. What's, what's your answer to that? Was it worthwhile to get an MBA? At least, at least for me, it was, it was worthwhile. I mean, I, I actually would say there's, there's two main benefits. So, so one, the people that I met. So I'm still very close with uh, probably 25 or 30 folks that I went to school with. And one of them I've now been a co-founder with twice. So is that East Coast or West Coast? Uh, in Chicago. So okay. Chicago Booth is uh, oh, where, yeah. where okay. uh, he and I met. So, uh, and we were actually running the venture capital and private equity club together. And what's cool about business school is you not only meet people, you know, drinking or whatever, but you also have no, to do... there's no drinking. There's no in drinking business in business school. school. No, <laughs> no traveling. But, it, but it's, you get to do more intensive interactions like projects or, or, or um, traveling or running you know, a club together. And it's actually a good proxy for what it's like to work together. And Jasper and I really uh, realized that not only do we work well together, but we're actually complementary in our skill set. And it gave us the confidence that we wanted to start a company together. So I'd say that's the first benefit. And then the second is just the rigor of thinking.
thinking, just being able to ask harder questions, being more skeptical, more d- data driven in the way that, that yeah, you make answer. decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think um, you can take away the instincts that come from being a founder and just figuring it out, which uh, I had done before business school. But just being able to kind of solidify the thinking and make it more, uh, yeah. more conscious and more rigorous. So our first guest said he thought the most important aspect of business school was the relationships that were created. You know, you're rubbing shoulders with people over the course of, I guess, two years. And those relationships endure, and they and they turn up in interesting ways from a business perspective. They they do, and the and the network I'm sure at Wharton is very strong. Uh, Chicago Booth is very strong. I mean, I can't tell you how many times uh, my co-founder and I have been like, "Hey, we don't understand X or Y," and we just go on LinkedIn, find somebody uh, in our alumni network who works at a company, and they and, re- just, and they return your call. They do. They just <laughs> oh respond, and they're willing to hop on a call and and explain explain how things work. So yeah, so yeah, I, I would agree with uh, the, uh, the 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 prior guest. guest. Yeah. yeah. So where where are you from? Where's home? So I I grew up in in a very picturesque place. So it's uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. Okay. So it's uh it's just under ten thousand feet of elevation. So you ski. I I do lots of things in the snow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's just this beautiful place that's uh it's very family oriented, very uh, very healthy and outdoorsy. So it was really a wonderful childhood. But you've now moved to the Bay Area. This is home now. Yeah, this is home. Yes. How long have you been here? I've, uh, just under ten years. So my wife and I. Uh, yeah, we've. Uh, wow. We've we've been together uh, 16 years, and we've got uh, two kids, uh, a three-year-old boy and a six-year-old boy. That's cool. Um, Prior business experiences before you jumped into Tally, before you created Tally. Well... So, so going back uh, right after business school, so Jasper and I, uh, we we actually took this course at at Chicago Booth. It was uh, it was the, I think the first renewable energy course offered at any business school. Wow! And yeah. and this was in we're talking two thousand eight. So this is this is early days. And Jasper and I realized that there were there was a lot of room for innovation around the the financial side of of uh, consumer solar. So we ended up uh, starting a consumer uh, solar finance company that was backed by Kleiner Perkins and came out to California and started the company. At we, that time? At that time, yeah. yeah. Right after business school, we graduated in 2009. So uh, we ended up getting uh, getting acquired. And uh, w- what's interesting is that since Jasper and I are specialists in consumer finance, we want, we knew we wanted to, to stay in that arena. But but we we really were thinking about where's where's the world going to be in 20 years? And the theme that just kept coming back to us over and over is that automation is really going to define these uh, these next uh, two decades. And that, you know, if you look at wealthy people today, so we're talking really wealthy, so $100 million or more. Like filthy. Yeah, yeah, are. like, yeah. There's, <laughs> there, there's terms that people, people use, but, but right. very wealthy, right? And th- what, what's, what's interesting about them is that they not only outsource a, most of the financial work in their lives, but they also outsource a lot of the financial thinking. So, you know, they might be skiing in Aspen and having a great weekend, and there's this team of people in an office park somewhere that are, that, you know, they've got their accountant and their tax loophole specialist and and their financial advisor that are that are that are working really hard to figure out what's the right strategy for them and how do we execute on the strategy yep, yep. and they only ask the the rich person kind of uh, high level um, life direction questions and the rest of Americans really uh, the rest of us are kind of fumbling around in the dark trying to figure things out and what's powerful about software trying is trying to do stuff ourselves yes yeah. and we don't have the time nor the expertise right I yeah. mean I can point to probably ten different si- situations I've been in even in the last couple couple of years where, uh, you know, I was, uh, not in a good spot. So what's, what's, what's interesting is if, if you can build software that can, can do the thinking, so similar to people, but, but in a, in a software form and then actually do the financial work and give it away to, uh, to everybody for, uh, for free, it really democratizes what, what wealthy people have. And that was the, that was the thesis that really captured our attention. And we've been driving towards, uh, our end objective is to actually fully automate the entire financial life of the average American. And we started with credit card debt because it's one of the most widespread difficult problems to, uh, to tackle. So before we jump into that, I wanted, you made a comment that caught my attention. You defined your, you described yourself and your co-founder as being consumer finance specialist. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a skill that you picked up in business school or before business school or during business school? Well, my co-founder Jasper has more street cred than I do. So he was uh, he was actually uh, in Europe uh, working for PwC. He was a chartered accountant. Okay, and he was auditing banks and uh, very uh, um, uh, I guess had a deep understanding of the banking system. Um, I, on the other hand, uh, I just was, lo- was he also? I mean computer literate in the sense of he wasn't just reviewing financial statements he was actually going in and and 
changing programs and so forth? He, he wasn't writing code, but he's, he's very, uh, very technically savvy Fassel, and, and, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and able to uh, dive into data. Yeah. And, and uh, for me, I've just always I've always been um, kind of obsessed with uh, consumer finance. And, you know, um, I grew up in this idyllic place that I described and everything was pretty much perfect, except for the fact that, that there was a lot of uh, tension in our family around money. And and there's just this underlying anxiety. I think, that, was I think there. that characterizes a lot of families, don't you? Uh, yeah. I mean, it certainly yeah. did mine. I mean, is yeah. it something you money identify gets, with? Money gets everybody's attention. It, yeah. it, it does. It's just so fundamental. And it's just my entire life, there was just always this underlying kind of anxiety that was there. And even though I've been fortunate to have a, a different trajectory with, with my money and my, my yeah. financial life, that it's still hiding in the dark places, you know, that anxiety's there. And so <laughs> That's well put. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, for me, um, I remember, I think I was 13 or 14, and I read this book. It's called The Millionaire Next Door. And it's, it's literally just a statistical survey of American millionaires and kind of how they spend their time, what they do with their money. And I was just reading through this book and seeing all these things that these millionaires were doing that, that uh, you know, I wasn't seeing happy in, in, in my family. And so from that point, I got really obsessed. And I, I learned about how compound interest works and investing and, and budgeting. And I remember I had a budget when I was, you know, like... 14 years old yeah. and I really got into it because I was just like I don't want to have to deal with the kind of kind of stress that Anxiety my parents have. All the time. Yeah. yeah. So taking that into a place like Chicago Booth where um you know you can study finance at a very uh, deep level, a very rigorous place, uh was a great great way for for me to kind of catch up to Jasper a little bit yeah. in, in the yeah. formal sense. Yeah. And then we both took that uh that both passion and expertise to uh try to make people's lives better. So so after the solar company, what what happened to that company? It was it was was it from there that you made the Jump into Tally. Correct. Yeah. So, so uh, that company got acquired. Um, we we uh, um, stayed around for a year to make sure the transition was uh, was fully successful. Yep. And then Jasper and I got to work uh, right away. And again, we had this thesis that that the future is about automation. And um, w what struck us about credit card debt is there is a trillion dollars of credit card debt in this country. Okay. So a trillion dollars, and forty four percent of all households are indebted with credit card debt to the tune of fifteen thousand dollars. Well, that's a lot. It's a huge. It's a huge number, right? And and, and what we were, were observing huh. is that there's just no solution out there for, for folks with credit card debt. And, you know, we're talking about hardworking people that have very busy lives, and they all want to be debt-free, but it's just that they, they lack the, the time and the expertise to, to really take care of yeah. the problem. Yeah. And so we said, hey, we're going to build uh, a service that's going to do that for them. Okay, so you sold the company, you sold the solar company, you transitioned a year later, and then you, you and your and Jasper decided let's go let's let's start something new. Yep. I mean, is that was that the genesis? Of that the was idea? the genesis. So what we knew is we knew we wanted to work together again because we love working together. What, was there an epiphany? We're suddenly thinking, God, there's this a, a massive problem that's not being addressed, or was it? Was it something that kind of slowly dawned? It, it was. It was. It was the the combination of we know that the the future is going to be automated, and and we want to be able to build an entire platform that can automate the entire financial life of the average American. But we knew we couldn't build that on day one, so we had to work backwards. And we said, what what widespread problem is there right now that's completely unsolved that that automation would have um, a big place in in um, making people's lives better? Yeah. And it was just obvious that credit card debt was the place to uh, to start. So we, uh, you know, we were. So naive, uh, Doug. We we thought, you know what? We're going to go raise a couple million dollars, which we did, and we're like, give us a year, and we'll have this thing built. Uh, have it nailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three years and forty-two million dollars later, we finally get to get to launch, basically. And uh, what we didn't understand is that when you want to fully automate. Even something that uh, you know on the outside might seem uh, fairly straightforward, like credit card debt, uh, we had to build a bank from the ledger up. So we literally had to build our own bank core. Uh, we had to figure out money lending, money transmission. Uh, we have to underwrite risk. I mean, it is a very uh, complex uh, technological and financial infrastructure that goes into um, making tally possible. And and that was that was the part that we did not fully appreciate when we started. So, so let's go back and review the, the kind of the thesis, the overriding thesis, which is that um, there's a, a all families on average have a big credit card debt and they don't manage their debt very well, and that's the that's the basis on which Tally was founded. Yeah, it's it's so like. So can you yeah. explain what the problem is more succinctly? Okay. Well, so here here's 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 it succinct. 
Americans love credit cards. They're convenient. They give you rewards. They're just a great tool to, to, to use and spend. Right. But they, they charge high interest and lots of fees. So, so Tally, the, the premise here is that most people don't pay their credit cards on time. And as a result, it generates interest. If you, if you let your balance lag into the next month, that's where the credit card companies make money. Exactly. So if you, if you carry a balance month to month, they're, they're hitting you with you know, 18 to 26% uh, interest rates, which is, which is yeah. just crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and, and, and Americans, I mean, credit cards are, are wonderful. They have a lot of uh, benefits. And really what Tally does is it, it separates the benefits of credit cards from the burden. Because with Tally, once your cards are in Tally, we're protecting you from high interest rates and late fees, but you still get to use your cards and you get all the points and rewards. But now you don't have to, uh, to, to worry about, um, you know, being taken advantage of by the card companies. So explain how that works. I mean, take create a user case. So I'm no. take me. So I, right. let's say I have fifteen thousand dollars in credit card debt on my Visa card, and you know I forget to pay it or I don't have the means to pay it, and so you know you've got a, a portion of that that rolls over into the next month, and I start generating interest at yeah eighteen percent. So your fifteen thousand. Let's just say you're just paying the 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 minimum payment plus a hundred bucks. Yeah, so okay. you're probably paying. Let's just say you're paying two hundred dollars a month. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you put your card into Tally. Yeah. And Tally, it, first off, <coughs> off is going to move that fifteen thousand dollars of balance over to Tally. So instead of ch charging you twenty percent interest, let's just say we're we're tar charging you ten percent. So okay. so you're already saving uh, a lot of money on interest. Uh, you're also now not having to worry about uh, any late fees because Tally is paying your card for you. And you're, you're still using your card and you, you buy your lunch and, and gas with it and you get the points. But now Tally is responsible for paying that Visa card every single month for you. And then you pay Tally. And what's, what's powerful about Tally... Oh, wait, wait. There's yeah. a piece here I'm not getting, yeah. which is where do you get the money to pay off the credit card? So, so we have... Uh, um, uh, a really interesting business model. We actually borrow money from, from banks in bulk. Okay, so we we go to uh, to Wall Street and uh, to regional banks, and they actually lend us money at a low rate because we're borrowing in bulk, and we pass most of those savings on to you. So the reason why we can charge you, let's say, ten percent versus the twenty your 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 card is charging you, is because we're borrowing in bulk on your behalf. Okay, and Tally is charging you ten percent interest, right? So that's how Tally gets revenue because we we're charging you interest, but Tally only charges interest when it's lower than what your cards are charging you. So we only ever can make money if we're saving you, you Doug, money on um, on the balances that you have, and we are now using our algorithms. And the premise yeah. is that you're borrowing money from the bank. Yep at a lower interest rate than what you're charging me as the user. So that, yep. that's, that's your profit, that's your margin, exactly. right? Exactly, okay. yep. and since, since we're 100% uh, digital, uh, we don't have to charge all these high, uh, high interest rates that the, uh, the card companies do. So for people just joining us, our guest this hour is Jason Brown, the CEO and co-founder of Tally, which is a, a, I would say it's still an early stage company that does a debt management for consumer for people with credit cards like me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so tell us more. So tell us, um, I do have this. So personally speaking, I try to pay off all the credit card debt I have every month. So am I a candidate to use Tally? Why, why would I want to use Tally if I'm, if I'm scrupulous about paying off credit cards? Well, you know, a, a quarter of our customers don't have any credit card debt at all because the, the average American has four credit cards. Yeah. And believe it or not, only 16% of Americans... Has do. four? Yeah. God, yeah. I, I need to get on this. I don't think I have enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the irony of it is, is the more cards you have and the longer they've been around, the higher your credit score. So, right. okay. so almost two-thirds of your credit score is decided by how well you use credit cards. So oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, okay, it's a pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty interesting system we have here yeah. in the country. But you, uh, you know... You put in your cards, your four cards, and Tally is now paying them on time. And only 16% of Americans use auto pay for their credit cards. So most, most Americans are concerned that since there's variable spending on their cards, they don't mind putting auto pay things like the rent. Like, Which is like static. Static, yeah. yeah. But, but you, know, you could have you know, a $1,000 bill one month and a $100 bill the next. So yeah. that, that uh, makes most, most people uh, nervous. And, and so Tally is like this buffer. It's just sitting there. It's watching all your cards, making sure that you're not going to miss any payments. And it just gives you one place to pay. So you pay Tally. Tally pays your cards. And it, and it just makes your life more convenient. So there's no human element. Once you, once you hand over your 
credit management to tally, then you don't you don't need to worry about the end of the month coming around and, and making and paying that off. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, talk a little bit more about tally, not so much the business model, but about the current state of play with the company. How big is it? Where is it located? Um, how many employees? Um, you know, to the extent you're willing to share it. I mean, do you have customers? Do you have traction in the marketplace? I mean, just give us a sense of uh, kind of a persona of the company. Well, we're we're head headquartered right here in San Francisco, okay. which uh, uh, we've we've been since uh, we founded the company back in 2015. And as I mentioned, it took us about three years to build the technology and financial infrastructure just to get to launch. So we this only is kind of a black box, the technology black yes. box that you've created. Yep, the technology and also the ability to do the work. So the ability to move money around, lend money, and do it all all all, all legally and comply with, yeah, uh, yeah. with, make sure all the regulators are happy. So so about three years, and then we uh, we launched last October. So We've How been, many employees do you have? Well, we started the year at just under twenty, and we're now at sixty. So we've oh, uh, we've uh, it's a rocket ship. Yeah, I think the last time you and I talked, we were like ten people. So it's uh. It's, do, you re- do you remember, Jason? How how many uh, where you were in the in the on the business model of the company back in July of twenty sixteen? So the business model was the same. We just hadn't completed building the product. Right. So uh, so we had uh, we had a lot of so work this is pre launch. Yes, right? and it, now you've launched. Yeah, now we've launched and. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the crazy thing is in the in the first year, so we're already managing over a quarter billion dollars of credit card debt. Uh, we have saved our customers uh, millions of dollars. And, and the, the, the thing that was excited uh, about uh, the Series B for us is that, uh, A, uh, Americans are flushing billions of dollars uh, down the toilet every single year on credit cards. And we just need to take, take tally to more people. So that was the first use of our Series B, which was led by Kleiner Perkins this summer. And then the second is uh, we are working on our the future aspects of our cro- of our product that are are in service of our long term objective of fully automating your entire financial life, not just credit cards, so, which would include like personal investments too. Yeah. So so if you think about it again, our our mental model is if. Every every American had the same team that a rich person does. Like, what are all the things that that team would be doing? And we are are working to make that possible through uh, through software. Boy, that's ambitious because that covers a lot of ground. It I does. Mean, it's, I mean, not just credit card management, but you know, investment management, and then you get into tax advice and accounting, and it's like suddenly you're. That's a lot of waterfront. It, it is a lot of waterfront, and and you know our our view is that in ten or fifteen years, the average person is going to have this invisible and ambient service that they're going to be interacting with, and it will be it'll be asking human questions like, "Hey, you know your 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 kids are twelve and fifteen now, like." You still want to fund their college fund, yeah, like yeah. yeah, like hey, here's some pictures of different kinds of yeah. houses you could retire in. Which one do you want? Oh, that actually means that little Johnny's not going to have enough money for college. Yeah. There's going to be some trade offs, so it'll be in a very human way help you help you weigh decisions and make trade offs that only you can uh, you can answer. But then once you identify what it is that Doug wants, then the algorithms will will jump into action and they'll they'll be working in your service to make that possible. So was it a surprise to you that you've jumped into a hugely saturated space called? fintech i mean it's why why do you say uh, saturated i i think it's all it's all blue blue uh blue water from my perspective yeah i mean i just again i don't know i'm not a student of of fintech but you talk about you hear a lot about in the press and elsewhere about how fintech you know companies like tally that are in the financial technology world that are basically changing the way people do exactly what you're talking about and it's I know that there's a lot of venture money chasing those companies, but I'm sure you have competition, right? I mean, do you think about that? Is that a concern? So, so there's two levels of competitions. One is we have zero competition in what we do right now. So, so the, the the customers that are using Tally are paying interest to credit card companies. They're not they're not doing anything else. There's no solution for them. So our competitor our competitor really is just inertia. The fact that like they have to go from the status quo to putting their cards into an app. Um, but our belief is that the only way that you're going to have a long-term sustainable advantage in consumer finance is if you're, you're running as fast as you can towards automation. And I think the first wave of fintech yeah. that, that you're thinking of is actually the post-financial crisis fintech where all of a sudden the banks were really busy and they had their hands full. And there were things that they weren't doing and customers they weren't servicing. And all of a sudden, tech came, comes in and provides better interfaces or services to, to customers that were underserved. 
And now the the economy has rebounded. The the banks are looking for other ways to 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 create revenue, and they're they're moving into those spaces. And so that first wave was about better interfaces or or underserved markets. And our belief is that that is not going to be a long-term sustainable advantage. The only thing that will um, allow you to have a, a long-term business is if, if you're working to, to create automation across the entire financial uh, industry, not just within one, uh, one bank or one relationship. So, so are you far enough down, as, as I plot the growth curve of Tally, the company, do you feel like you're at a point where you've turned a corner? I mean, in a, in a grossly simplistic way, you know, it sounds like two years ago when you and I first talked, Jason, you guys were in kind of the product development mode. You're trying to create this black box mm -hmm. that does all these magical things. But outwardly, it's very simple to do. Yep. And now it sounds like the black box has been largely created. I mean, not that it's ever done, but it's largely created. And now you're turning that corner into more product commercialization. You're out there selling. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And and you know the place where we're we were just like, aha, it's working. Like this this crazy idea automation. Because our concern was, will will people <laughs> trust it? Will will because actually this this paints a picture. So the home screen of Tally is a picture of somebody with their feet on the table drinking coffee. Okay. There's no charts. There's no data. If you compare that to other fintech <laughs> apps, where I'm there's in, I'm in. there's <laughs> there's advertisements or numbers or all these things you're supposed to do, and Tally is just this mental oasis, and and that was our north star. We said it, true automation is a place where there's not a whole lot to do, right? And and the algorithms tell you, hey, I've got this. You're you're good, Doug. You can go back to watching your favorite show. There's nothing to do here, and that that is what what uh, was guiding us. But what we weren't sure were were the Dugs of the world. Were they were they ready to turn over at least this aspect of their lives? Yeah, to tally I mean, frankly, there's a, there's a huge element of trust. Yeah, which you have is, to trust it. You know, Tally's not going to screw this up and put me in worse situation than I already am. Exactly, you have to trust it and. When we started seeing our retention numbers, that's when our mind was just blown. I mean, like a good consumer app, if it can retain, you know, 20 to 50% of its customers every month, that's like a great outcome. Okay. And we were seeing 99% retention. Wow. And we have continued to see 99% retention month over month. Once, once somebody... Across a database where that, those percentages are meaningful. Yeah. We're talking across the entire, yeah. entire customer uh, uh, file and... What the insight was is that when somebody goes from a place where they're they're stressed and they have all of this you know this work to do, when they push it into this box and we say hey we're going to take care of it for you and then we start taking care of it, nobody's raising their hand to say hey wait I want to go back to like working and working harder and having to worry about this and getting screwed by credit cards like it's just like it's this place that suddenly now they can breathe and they can focus on things that are more important in their lives and that's what automation should do it should feel like you've got this load off your, your chest and that you just from that point forward you don't have to worry about it anymore. So, so before we go to break I want to ask this it's kind of a fundamental question which is how do you create trust? And as a corollary to that, you said at the very beginning that if I'm a, approaching Tally and I want to take advantage of the service, I've got to fill out a, a financial questionnaire, mm -hmm. which, which is, I assume is a qualifying questionnaire in terms of whether or not you're prepared to take on my business based on my credit profile. So, can, so it's trust and qualification. How, how do you do that? What's most important is is being transparent. So uh, with Tally, Tally doesn't charge any fees of any kind. So there's no penalties, no insufficient funds, no late fees, like literally no fees. The only way we make money is by charging an interest rate when we can save you money. So just having it simple and transparent. <coughs> the second is through design. So when you download Tally in the App Store, you, you're gonna you're gonna experience this this emotionally uh, pleasing uh, interface and in, in the pictures and the way that it just it just takes you through the sign up process. It's just very effortless. And when when somebody sees how much attention to detail you've put to every single pixel and how how they feel going through it, uh, it makes people feel like they trust you. So you have to intellectually show them that you're trustworthy by being transparent, but then you actually have to deliver from the design. You have to design. perform. Yes, you have to deliver. And so you've got metrics. I mean, can you feed back to the consumer, to, to the customer? You can feed back and say, since we've taken ownership of your account over the last eight months, 
here's what we've accomplished. Yeah, we actually do, we, do we, that. We do. It's a little better. So there's this rocket at the uh, on the home screen. So when you yeah. scroll below the, the the feet up on the table, relaxing, there's this rocket that's kind of like looks like it wants to take off and you tap on it and it shoots off. And then it shows you how much money you've saved so far with Tally. And it's, it's again, it's, it's making it emotional and not just saying, hey, here's like this like wall of numbers. But you should you should be uh, happy, Doug. We're, uh, we're we're making things better for you. This is great. We are going to take just a short break. I'm Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Jason Brown, the CEO and co-founder of Tally. You're listening to Bay Area Ventures on Business Radio, Sirius, Sirius, Sirius XM Channel 132. Welcome back, everyone, to Bay Area Ventures on SiriusXM's Business Radio. I'm Doug Collum. Our guest this hour is Jason Brown, the CEO and co-founder of Tally, a leading automation automated debt manager. And we've, we've been talking a lot about that in terms of how the company, how the how the model actually works. So, so Jason, it was interesting to me. Um, I mean, during the break, we were talking about, you know, how one goes about how you went about achieving your optimal product. And you, you, you commented that you did make kind of a tweak what it is that actually incentivizes people to sign up for the app and turn over their credit card finances to the company. Maybe you can jump into that. Yeah, well, I think it's especially interesting for uh, the business school types because, you know, again, Jasper and I, um, business school background, and we were sitting there and we we're like, oh, my God, we can we can save the average uh, family five thousand three hundred dollars in interest. Like this is this is huge. It's all about saving and, you know, making them numerically better in, in their lives. And talk about sheer incentive. Who wouldn't want yeah. to save fifty three hundred bucks? I right? know. Exactly. Uh, it's such a big deal. And and so we were very cerebral in the way we were thinking about the product in the uh, in the first two two iterations. And, and we started talking to customers and we realized that there's just something much, much deeper there, which ironically uh, was, was harkened back to what I had talked about in my childhood with money being a yeah. point of anxiety. Yeah. And, and we, we started to realize that there, there was something really deeper than the need to save money. And we ended up actually using this uh, medical instrument. It's called the State Trait Anxiety Index. Say it again. It's called the State Trait Anxiety Index. Okay. okay? And it's this tool that's been used in both medicine and psychology since, uh, I think, the 60s. And what it does is it, it lets you assess the, the amount of anxiety somebody's feeling in, in a situation. And anxiety is, a, is an interesting emotion because it's a fear-based emotion. Okay, it's this feeling that there's some threat outside of myself that I don't have the tools to counteract. And, and when the data came back, I mean, my jaw was just on the table. I mean, we're talking about two thirds of people who have credit card debt have medical levels of anxiety when it comes to managing their cards. Like measurable? Measurable. So we're talking about it is it is equivalent to you're sitting in a doctor's office waiting for for some test results that are pretty serious and that uncertainty that you're feeling about you know whether it's going to be a good result or a bad result that is comparable to what people feel on a regular basis when managing uh, their credit card debt and we're just we're just blown away and and we realized and we actually so, so pause there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. this is a great topic but yeah. pause there how did you determine that so you went out to kind of a user base of customers and yeah. said uh, here we want you to fill out this uh, how much anxiety are you yeah, feeling? Yes, so, so this is the state trade anxiety index. Is uh, luckily it's been administered uh, in um, thousands of uh, academic and medical studies. So it's an established it, protocol. Yeah, established yeah. protocol. So we didn't reinvent that, but I think we're the first ones that that took that tool to to yeah. ap apply it to uh, to credit card debt. And it comes back. It's, it comes back as a number, basically. And you're just like, oh my god, I can't believe that you know two thirds of people are are at this at this level. And we actually changed the mission of the company because the mission of the company was uh, make people better off financially. So let me pause. Yeah. I mean, when you change the mission, you're not changing the product. Right. You're changing the branding and the and the marketing, right? Well, and what and what drives us internally because we were again we were just like make people better off financially, and so we actually changed it to make people less stressed and better off financially and less stressed is most important and and here's it really comes wow, down yeah yeah it comes down to 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 the human experience and i find it much more invigorating uh, once once we discovered that because this isn't about just you know somebody you know having uh, a couple extra thousand dollars in their pocket at the end of the year yeah it is about them being able to enjoy the little moments 365 days a year it's like I mean I'm a father now and uh, my oldest loves to ride bikes and we go to a bike park and when I get to sit there and just just be in the moment and watch him zoom around on his bike like I, I'm very fortunate that's a luxury to 
not have um, the anxiety of credit card debt yeah. on my mind. And if we can take that burden off of people and, and allow them to be in that moment and just to, to, to have that joy without the, the tax of anxiety, it's just, it's just a really exciting thing. So you're saying that that's the true motivation. So you, you took, I get it. Mm-hmm. But how did you translate that, that discovery into changing your product or changing your branding? I mean, how is it? What, what changed in the company's business model as it, a result it, of that? It, it literally changed. And that, that was actually the, um, the, uh, the home screen that we have that I was talking about where, yeah. where you know, you're sitting. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> you, yeah. you have to. You have to. So, you know, drinking coffee, feet on the table. It's like that's how, that's how people want to feel. So our, our job is to use automation to, to make that possible. And so the entire onboarding experience, we, we took a, a, um, a, a much more emotional design approach. And it's, it's again, it's not, it's not so focused on the, the numbers. Well, actually, here's a great example. So when, you, um, when Tally approves you, when you're signing up, uh, it tells you how much you're going to save because it can calculate everything. But the phone actually vibrates and it shoots confetti out. And it, it's like, <laughs> congratulations. And so it's just like letting people know that, hey, this is a big deal. Like we should, we should celebrate with you. So it's, it's all about tapping into the, to that emotion and allowing people to, to have that emotional release. So before we leave this topic, I do want to say, I mean, this is in business school, they call it A-B testing. You know, which, which website attracts more interest, a yellow web, website or a blue one? And so you, in effect, it sounds like you applied kind of the same thing. You decided, hey, you know, it's the emotional component that is more of a driver than the financial component. So did you, did you test that with, I mean, how, how did you actually deploy that knowledge? You know, some things, we do an immense amount of A-B testing. We do it all the time. But and, the, and that's what it's called, A-B testing? A-B testing, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so there's... That, that I don't know at, at any given time. I mean, we probably are running ten or fifteen different tests, right? Yeah. But but something that's directional and foundational, it, it that has to come from conviction. And obviously, it was fed by data, right? We we yeah. were, we were talking to customers, seeing a theme, and then we try to quantify it. But once we saw how how strong it was, it was just like this has to be the place that that, that we focus. Boy, that's great. I just think I mean, you, you realize I haven't I haven't heard very often how how effective A-B testing can be. It sounds like you, it's measurable. And as a result of your, your confirmation that it's the emotional component that's more important, you've seen an uptick in terms of traction with customers? Co- completely. And, and, you know, we've probably increased, I, I'm going off the cuff here, but yeah. uh, our, our conversion through the funnel has probably increased like threefold through, through A-B testing. So just, you know, should the walkthrough be three screens or one, like all those kind of things. So it, it does yield a lot of benefit, but it only yields benefit if you have, if you have a North star, you know, like, you know where you're going generally. And that's what a decision like this, where, you know, changing the, the company's mission to, to make people less stressed and better off financially. That's where it gives you the inspiration and the insight to say, Hey, we're going to actually test this versus that because yeah. now you actually have that that map of it's kind of a variation but um, but the theme remains constant exactly yeah <clears throat> so i want to switch gears all together i mean when we last talked two and a half years ago you were very early stage product very early stage in product development and now you've raised 42 million bucks and you're turning this corner how is how has um i guess it's more of a question that's focused on the investors Having investors, I mean, and frankly, it's Kleiner Perkins, one of the top firms in, in the U.S., has parked some serious money in the company as recently as July of this year, yep. right? So um, how has the culture of the company changed now that you've got a big, I don't want to say a gorilla sitting at the table, but it's, you know, it's, it's an institutional investor, and they, in turn, have responsibilities to their limited partners has the culture of the company changed as a result of this huge capital infusion? The the culture has not changed as a result of funding. The the culture has changed, and I can talk about how is, that. How has your anxiety <laughs> level changed, Jason? <laughs> I, I actually so my anxiety has has gone down. So let me let me give a little really? context. Yeah. So so we we were fortunate to have many options at each funding round, and our seed round we chose to work with Cowboy Ventures, Alien Lee, very well known, yeah, very well known, and and just a passionate consumer products person. We then added for our Series A Shasta Ventures. So. 
we wanted to work with Shasta because they have a strong thesis around consumer, and they also were backers of Mint in the early days. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, so they had this this thesis that the future is about doing financial work for people, not just giving them charts and graphs and organizing the yeah. the numbers correctly. And so Nikhil uh, joined our board. So again, institutional investor who's a specialist on Series A investing, who's very passionate about uh, what we're doing. And, and our, our Series B was interesting because uh, Mamoun Hamid uh, was previously at Social Capital and had just uh, moved over to Kleiner to actually run their fund. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mamoun is somebody I actually had known uh, for the better part of a decade. You have? I have, yes. J just... It, Coincidentally, well, we, he, he and I actually uh, at, not at the same time, but we had interned at a, a at a same uh, venture fund when we were in business school. Oh, he was that a, business school connection. Yeah, yeah. Good. he's a little older and yeah. and went to a different school, but we both had interned at the same venture fund, so we were the same kind of alumni network of, yeah, of that yeah. that, uh, that fund. And w what I thought was really inspiring about Mamoon is not only uh, has he been behind Slack, so he led the Series A in Slack. He was behind Box, Yammer. I mean, just. Uh, one of one of the, at least in my opinion, one of the top um, active venture investors uh, in the in the world right now. But he was he was asking me really hard questions in in the the vetting process about you know why can't you save customers more money? Like how do you how do you make customers better off? And he's very passionate about using technology to uh, democratize what uh, what wealthy people have. Yep. And so I remember in the in the first board meeting, it was just like you know. How can we save our customers more money? It wasn't how can we make more money. It was literally like, hey, I want to make sure that you guys. How can we help you guys do better? Yeah. yeah, and how can we help your customers specifically? Yeah. So the the pressure is there, but the pressure is to deliver value to customers. And and what what um, is striking about Mamoon, um, which I would also agree with both Nikhil and Aileen, is the way you win is by delivering immense value to customers and not trying to nickel and dime and to profit optimize. And and that kind of pressure is the kind of pressure you want and so i feel like it's both pressure and also support and so that's why i feel less pressure stressed. and support as it relates to you the ceo correct yes and, and when they're pushing and asking questions uh it's in a desire to help jasper and i run a better company but it's not just to, to run a better company based on their definitions we all agree that the definition of success is how many customers are we helping and how much are we helping them that is the thing that we're all pushing for so that's why i i have less stress now because i have i have more support in terms of headcount and employees, more people around you. Yes, and and in smart charge people. Of that mission. Yeah, smart people like Mamoon who care about yeah. who care about our, our mission. So, uh, anyway, from that standpoint, I feel really fortunate to uh, to have have the the financing that we have. Um, I could talk a bit about how the company's changed from a people perspective. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask. I mean, when you're going from twenty employees to sixty in the in the space of twelve months, I mean, that's a serious ramp. It is, and that. That is, I mean, that, you know, begins with you as the CEO. Everyone's looking, I mean, they orient toward you as their North Star, right? That's what a CEO is supposed to do. It, it, yeah. it is. So let me actually we rewind to when we were six people. Okay. Okay. We're, we were, uh, um, our office was in a WeWork, and we were looking around. and Here it, in San Francisco? Here in San Francisco. Yep. And yep. it wasn't lost on us that we were all six men. And... You know, my, my actually ethnic background is uh, my uh, great grandfather was actually uh, illegal immigrant from Mexico, yep. and my dad actually was a public defender. And so, this this idea that um, diversity matters and that you should give opportunity to to um, everybody has been a part of my upbringing. But looking around, we are six men in this company, and I took a stand and said, "Look, this is not the the." Um, level of diversity and inclusion that I want to have in the company so I want to run. So you expressly identified this as a deficiency in the company during the early days? During the early days. And we just knew that if we didn't tackle it early, then we were... Uh, Never happened. Or, or, or it was harder just going to be harder. Happen, yeah. yeah. So our seventh hire was actually uh, our, our head of people. Uh, his name is, is Joe. And he came in and... He and his team and um, Jasper and I have worked really hard to make sure that we have the best team that also reflects the customers that we serve and we are now uh, now at 60 we are a majority minority company and uh, thanks to the work of joe and, and the many people that have joined the company um 
you know, there's still more work to do uh, for sure. But uh, we've been able to really make Tally uh, a place that is a place that um, people can thrive regardless of, of, of background or orientation. And for me, I, I'm just so proud to have uh, a high-performing team that is also, um, you know, a diverse, diverse. Yeah. So hold the thought. For people just joining us, you're listening to Jason Brown, who's the CEO and co-founder of Tally, a credit card management company, for lack of a better word, um, and this is Bay Area Ventures on Sirius XM Channel 132. So diversity has definitely been a topic of conversation that we've had in prior programs. And we've had a, uh, a couple of women on the, who, are former v, who are VCs that have left big VC firms to join other ones. And they talk about diversity in all its dimensions in the Bay Area or lack thereof. And it's interesting because it does feel, again, I'm... I'm kind of from a distant perspective, it does feel like there's a sea change going on. And, and it's interesting, Jason, that you've, you guys specifically went out at an early stage and, and decided to promote that. I mean, so what, how has that changed the culture of the company? I mean, maybe not at all. Maybe, in fact, it still is a, the same culture, but just a different group of people supporting it. You know, the, the, the quality of thinking is, is much higher. You know, if, go ahead. That's, that's a great theme. I'd like to hear more. Yeah, the, the quality of thinking is, is um, I mean, it's hard to quanti quantify like how much better the thinking and decision making is. But I have, I have now seen that the way that we at least evaluate possible solutions, uh, there's just a lot more possibilities that are thrown on the board up front. And the possibilities that we contemplate, I feel like, are evaluated much more effectively because you have different people who are coming from different backgrounds that are that are asking questions and, and um, you know, push, pushing to, to try to understand what the right business decision is. You know, I could be mistaken, but I do. Th it might have been Eileen Lee who did a study when they actually measured the financial performance of companies with founder teams and they compared the founder teams of uh, all guys and against founder teams that had at least one or more women co-founders and the financial performance over some period of time was superior with the mixed teams as opposed to the teams that were all guys. And I think it was for the same reasons that you articulate, which is you get people coming at it from different perspectives. And this is what you've experienced? It, it, it is definitely what, what I've experienced. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Joe and I talk uh, on a regular basis how we want we want to do more and we yeah. want to, to even, um, you know, more dramatically increase the, the diversity of, of thought on our team. And I think what I really credit Joe with is helping me understand that uh, you can basically ignore diversity as long as you focus on inclusion. Because when, when people feel included, uh, when they when they interview and when they join the company, uh, regardless of of their their background or orientation, mm. that they they can then not only be present and and you know add to diversity, but they actually can thrive, engage, and and, yeah. and, and add value. And so uh, that's the place where investing early. You know, I mean, most people thought we were crazy that our seventh hire was going to be this head of people, and we were going to really try to try. Yeah, to, that uh, is unusual, by the way. Yeah, yeah. which uh, if I were to do it over, it would have been my third hire. I mean, it, really? dead serious. Yeah. Because here's the difference, right? When you're uh, when you don't have that role filled, most of the recruiting falls to the founders and you have so right. little time. So here's what you do. You interview 10 people and you pick the best one. That's all you do. Whereas when you have dedicated resources, you say we are literally going to go out and find somebody that we fall in love with. And if it takes us 50 interviews, we're going to so be it. it. Yeah. And, and we will we will not only hire a better person than, you know, if we only had interviewed 10, but we're going to get somebody who's not only better, but they also bring some dimension of, of thinking differently or diversity to the team, which is going to add value beyond just like them being hardworking and talented. So, again, the, the, I, I that. I, if I had to do it over again, I would have uh, hired uh, him uh, earlier. We're going to shift gears. I want to talk about you. All right. So how are you doing as the CEO of a company has jumped from six employees now up to 60 and ramping, continuing to ramp? It's a whole different thing now, isn't it, for you as a CEO? It, it is. I, uh, I'm doing great. So thanks for asking, Doug. Uh, I feel 
very well supported by the folks on our team. And just to, to highlight, um, I don't know if you had uh, seen, but uh, Erica Dorfman, she was uh, the co-head of Capital Markets for SoFi, which is, uh, okay. uh, yeah. you know, for those who don't know, a, a very large, successful uh, fintech. And she's this, this amazingly talented woman. She's uh, 29, and she was just named to the Forbes 30 Under 30. So she joined us about six or seven months ago to be our, our head of finance and operations. Okay. And she's this, this person that just brings this like drive and energy that, that uh, it, just, it, it excites people and this intellectual rigor that, that makes people you know, think better. And having somebody like that on your team, I'm just like, hey, you tell me what, what support you need. I'm here for you. And we have multiple uh, folks on our team, the different, different areas uh, of the business, whether it be engineering or, or finance or um, um, you know, even uh, PR, we have an amazing woman, uh, uh, Francis, who, who recently joined us from Credit Karma. So now we have this this team of high performers that are pushing, and it feels like we're pushing together rather than in the early days. It really does feel like you're carrying a lot more on your own shoulders. So uh, in, in in many ways, it's actually less stressful, and I can focus more on this, the strategy uh, and growing the business. Do you, do you sleep at night? I sleep wonderfully. Really? Oh, sleep <laughs> sleep for me. If I don't sleep well, my uh, my brain doesn't work. So I I, th I see it as as an investment in uh, in decision making. I also uh, I I ride my bike a lot, and that's when I do my thinking. So I, I actually think it's if you're not sleeping well and you're not eating well and you're not exercising, you're actually harming your decision making and you're not giving yourself the space to to think and to make proper decisions. Yeah. So I actually think that's a, a critical uh, input. So actually, the, the question I was asking of you, which is how are you doing, wasn't, wasn't a rhetorical question. It was, let me rephrase it, and we've got about two minutes left. Um, you know, do, do you worry or do you think about your ability to scale with the organization? Sounds like it's got great traction. You're on a, you're on a growth trajectory that is, you know, maybe beyond anticipation. You've got investors who are cheering from the sidelines but also offering critical evaluation do you do you think about Jason your personal role with the company as a CEO as it climbs through these different levels of maturity? Yeah, absolutely. Let me give you two concrete examples. So one, uh, as the board grows, I want to know better how do you how do you manage a board, and that's that's not something you learn in business school. So one of the reasons why I wanted Mamoon on the board is this is a person who's seen uh, many boards uh, of, of of highly successful companies. So one of the personal ask is, hey, help me help me run a really good board both in the board meeting and between board meetings. And so having that, that mentorship there uh, helps you up your game. And then the second is... And you learn from that. I, I do. And, yeah. and having somebody like Mamoon who's... Uh, He's, he's hard on you in a very honest, uh, clear, clear way because I want to be held uh, compared to the best people he's ever worked with. Yeah. I want to know where I benchmark so that I, that I have a sense of, of how much further I have to go. So I appreciate that kind of crit criticism. And then the second is I just uh, I'm uh, at the end of a year program. It's called Leaders in Tech. And um, it is uh, led by this woman named Carol Robin who actually ran the touchy-feely course at Stanford for 17 years. And this is the course that was voted the number one course for like 20 years straight. And uh, she now has a nonprofit that is helping founders of tech companies uh, use uh, emotion as, a, as an asset for leading a company and, and leading people. And so it's been this year-long intensive that uh, I've been going through. And it's just, it's just giving, giving me more resources and more, more tools. More tools. And, and I, uh, you know, obviously, I'm nervous about making sure that I'm, I'm continuing to push the company. And so trying to invest in those kinds of uh, relationships and experiences are, uh, are really important. We've got about 20 seconds or so. If you're going to offer advice to anybody out there who wants to be an, a CEO of a company like Tally, What's an attribute that you think is pretty important? Uh, just be obsessed with people. I mean, you people, can't. Yeah, yeah, you can't. You can't build a company by yourself. You need. Uh, you need a group of uh, amazing people around you. So figure out how to how to attract those people and retain those people. That's great advice. We are out of time, as I as I promised. Jason, thanks a lot. It's been a wonderful program. Where, where can people go? to uh, find you? Uh, ch check, check me out on LinkedIn, Jason Brown, or uh, um, Twitter. And uh, yeah, Tally is a debt that uh, helps you get debt-free faster. So cool. download it if you need it. Thanks for being with us. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.